0: Good morning. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Proverbs chapter 3, where Solomon, under inspiration from God, says this, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. And now we come to the heart of these verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Let's pray together. Lord, we stand humbled before your word this morning because we know that it is truth that is your plan to make us like Jesus through that truth or well, we recognize today that we need your truth it's food for our souls we need it because this life is overwhelming and we don't have all the answers we we have very few or well, we need your truth because it leads us to Jesus the one who is the way the truth and the life the one who provides a way for our sins to be forgiven and eternal life to be ours and for us to be reconciled and right with you and so we need your truth this morning we pray that as we consider these verses that your spirit would guide us into all truth and that our hearts would be open and willing not just to learn and grow in our knowledge, but to change and to grow in our living. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We had a chance last week to go back to New England. That's home for me. Um, although at this point I'm not really sure where home is. Uh, yeah, Mike, you're a New Englander? Yes. All right. We can be friends. Uh, yes. Uh, I'm from New Hampshire. That's where I spent my whole childhood. And uh, look at this, we're winning. See this? You learn new stuff. Uh, we'll, ca- we'll catch up after. <laughs> He's way too excited now. Uh, and I got to see my folks. They actually live on the south coast of Maine now. And uh, we got to spend about a week with them. And uh, it was great to be back there. And this is not a rare sighting um, in New England. Does anybody know what this is? I figured a few of you would. Chad, I'll give you the, op- I'll give you the opportunity because you have some New England roots too. Very good. So this is uh, what a tree tap looks like. Uh, And ultimately, it ends up in those cute little bottles uh, that say, like, pure Vermont maple syrup, or, you know, this is the process. And uh, it's actually a pretty lengthy process, and you end up with a lot less than you started with. That's the nature of the beast when you come to uh, making maple syrup. I actually had a neighbor named Bill. He lived directly across the street from us, and there were three cool things about Bill. Number one, Bill's house sat quite a bit higher than our house, and he had a very steep driveway that went into the road that was our neighborhood. And we lived at the top of another hill on a T, so our road was pretty quiet. So as four boys would want to do, uh, we used to take our big wheels and go flying down Bill's Hill. <laughs> so we called it, or our bikes, or whatever. And then my mom said we would fly down the hill, and we'd make like a sharp left, and uh, turn onto the road to slow down, and then we'd you know, race up the hill and do it all over again. Uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Uh, We also took our bikes down. Bill had a great hill. The second cool thing about Bill, he was a single guy, uh, was that he owned a vintage Corvette. And so it stayed under one of those covers in his garage, uh, one of those like light blue uh, old covers, but it was a white, like 1980s Corvette with the big uh, scoops over the wheels or whatever you call those things, car people. And uh, I just remember thinking like, they're not scoops, are they? Whatever they are. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know sap, I don't know scoops. And uh, so anyway, we, we would love, uh, every time he would take that out and drive it 10 miles and park it back in his garage, we would just kind of drool and ooh and ah as boys. Uh, but the third thing was he made maple syrup. So he would tap the maple trees down in his yard and he would make syrup. And I remember uh, going up to his house and he would have like this gargantuan Metal tub. I don't even know how to describe it. I remember it being rectangular, and I remember massive amounts of steam pouring off it. That's what I remember. And I remember being a little boy and going up to his house and seeing it. And he had tapped all the trees in his yard and uh, down behind in the woods, and then he would make maple syrup. And and what they say about that is that it takes about forty gallons of sap to make one gallon of maple syrup. Right? That's probably not why it's so expensive, but anyway, that's the ratio. And I say all that to say that um, I appreciate it when things are boiled down to a level that we can digest and understand them. I have tried sap. I don't recommend you do. But the syrup is tremendous, right? And one of the that I think we all over time grow to appreciate about God's word is there are these places where God's word is kind of boiled down to to a simple level that we can take with us and hold on to and and not get overwhelmed by. You ever get overwhelmed? Does life ever get overwhelming for you? If you were honest, right, do you ever get overwhelmed with the Bible? My Bible is 1,042 pages. Some of the books are, you know, 20, 30, 40, Psalms, 100 chapters, And sometimes it just feels like, man, there is so much in here, I could never get my arms around it all. And yet we know that for a person to come to Christ, all they have to have is the faith of a child. And so I appreciate those sections of God's Word that kind of distill it down to just just the, the basics, if you want to call it that. And yet, haven't you learned in your time with walking with Jesus that even the basics are rich in their depth? Right, that, that even just the simple truths of read your Bible and pray, they have infinite possibilities in their depth. But sometimes you just need to be reminded, um, you need to pray. And Proverbs 3 is one of those chapters. There's verses you might think of when I talk about boiling it down, like Ecclesiastes chapter 12, where Solomon again said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. What do he say? Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. These things make it on like little plaques and stuff, so you might be familiar. Micah chapter 6, verse 8: What does the Lord require of you but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? The great commandments of Deuteronomy chapter 6, and then Jesus reiterating in Matthew 22. The two great commandments, love God, love others. It boils down. Or maybe you just enjoy going back every so often to Psalm 1. right? Life kind of synthesized, if you want to say it that way. And so while life can be overwhelming, and even at times being a Christian and and learning from God's Word can, I hope that the simplicity of these verses rings true in your soul today and encourages you. Because what these verses really carve out for us is the way of wisdom, God's way of wisdom. Notice with me that wisdom starts with a relationship. Look at chapter three, verse one. My son, do not forget my teaching. Verse 11, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. You can see it back in chapter two, verse one, that same reference. If you look at chapter one, verse eight, The verses that Danny read in the Open to Our Worship reflected on the fact that there are lots of places that people go to try to get wisdom, but there's only actually one place where true wisdom lives. It lives with God himself. And aren't you thankful that through Jesus, God calls you his son or his daughter? There's a closeness in that, isn't there? There's a care. A couple weeks ago, Danny preached a sermon on the prodigal son, and highlighted the fatherly love of God for his children, that his love is deep, His mercy is wide. But do you know God's relationship with us as a father doesn't stop with the fact that He just loves us? I have, I have a little son, as you all heard, at the beginning of the service this morning. And I love him deeply. But do you know there's more to our relationship than just that I love him. There's more to God's relationship with his children than that he just loves you. Though that is very important and and something we ought to emphasize. He wants to show you something amazing, his love, but he also wants to teach you something. He wants to teach you his truth, he wants to teach you his ways. And he says to you, My son or my daughter, I have something to teach you. That's why we have a book. Right? There are cultures and religions that think that God can be revealed by somebody just sharing their experiences or their uh, connections with him or, or what they've seen in nature, and it, it all comes out of somebody's mind, and it gets passed down through oral traditions and histories for generations. And we have God's truth in a book that doesn't change. God intends for us to learn something. That's why we have Jesus, the word made human so that we could see God in his, his essence. What, what would God be like if he was a man? We have the answer to that. We actually have four different accounts of what that life looked like. See, Jesus didn't even just come to love people. He came to teach them too. And people marveled when Jesus taught because he taught as someone who had authority and not like the teachers of their day. Wisdom starts with a relationship. That's why I prayed for the Holy Spirit to guide us and reminded my own heart and us together that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. God intends to transform our thinking. He wants us to be wise, but it's because of a relationship. The second thing we know from this text is that wisdom takes work. We were at the men's retreat this weekend And uh, there were guys talking tech stuff. We were around the fire, and they were talking encryption and other stuff. (laughs) And they were talking about smart cards and, like, how a guy had been to a a professional development session where somebody showed how to break the encryption of a smart card and read align the PIN number, and I was confused. And so as this discussion is going on... uh, it kind of paused, and you could tell everyone was like, that's scary. And I, In that moment, I just said, I can't wait for heaven. But as I spent time with those guys, I'm like, wow, these guys are really smart. But they didn't get smart on accident. They, they've been trained. They've been educated. They're, they're gifted in some ways. And they've grown in their knowledge. You know, God intends us to grow in wisdom, but it doesn't happen magically and mystically. You don't wake up one morning and you're like, I know what how God thinks. It actually takes work. Look what the verses say. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Remembering is hard, isn't it? That's why we tie things around our fingers. Right? That's why I have an Excel spreadsheet of passwords, because if somebody asked me to remember my passwords, I'd be toast. And then I have that one part of my life where they make you update your password consistently, and you're like, oh. Because remembering takes effort. Do you know remembering what we hear from God takes effort? I appreciate that Daniel has gotten our podcast loaded on our website, right? Right? Be willing to put in the effort to go listen to a sermon again. Take the time to write God's words on a note card and put it in, in, on your bathroom you know, mirror or wherever. However, it's going to help you to remember. But the effort goes beyond remembering. It goes to obeying. Let your heart keep my commandments. And that's actually harder than remembering is obeying what God has said. Wisdom takes work. Look at verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. If we're gonna grow wise, we have to engage our hearts, but we also can't lose sight of the main goals. I love how this verse is constructed. It's kind of like, don't let those things run away from you. Because at the bottom of it all, God wants to build in us character that is loving and faithful. Remember the, the... Praise that God gives the good servant in the New Testament. He says, "Well done, thou good and faithful servant." And then he contrasts that with the bad side. He says, uh, "Not well done, thou wicked and sloth, wicked and lazy servant." Do you know that what God is doing in us to grow us and make us wise ought to continue to make us. More good and more faithful. It ought to develop in us greater um, holiness and greater diligence. It's hard work. Wisdom is not something that comes easily. And then look at how this section of God's word wraps up, verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. We engage our hearts. We keep our eyes on the main goal. But finally, we have to be okay with tough love. If we're going to grow in wisdom, it has to, it, we can't run or, or um, I don't know that we have to like it, but, but we can't abandon when God brings hard stuff into our life. Whether that's trials that are just intended to to grow our faith, whether that's actually hard stuff because we're, we're out of line in some way and God wants to get our attention. Wisdom takes work. But then we get to the heart of this text and it really gives us three ways that God wants us to relate to him. What does wisdom look like? It looks like this. Trust God. Verse five, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. The Christian life begins, continues, and ends with faith. Go to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. Verse 1 And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, just like everybody else, the rest of mankind. But God, And this is not your doing. It is the gift of God. Our Christian lives begin with faith, they continue with faith, and they end on the day when our faith is turned to sight. Go back to Proverbs 3. Some of you in your hearts are like, yeah, I know that. But can I tell you, Every day of life, living by faith is a challenge. Because there's stuff happening in our lives that we, we cannot, with our own understanding, understand. Right? Isn't that what the verse says? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and stop leaning on your own understanding. Stop trying to work it all out yourself. We were at the men's retreat this weekend and I was, we were sitting across the table from uh, men I'd never met before. And you're, you're beginning conversations to get to know someone, right? So, so in a man conversation, I don't know how women conversations go, what do you ask to get to know somebody? Men? What do you do, right? Basic conversation. So there's a man sitting across the table from us. His name's Ken. And so after we get to know his name, I asked Ken what he did. He said, I'm retired. Okay, that doesn't help. So I'm like, okay, what did you do? And so then he shared that he was in finance. A lot of the guys that were there work at Hill Air Force Base. And so he'd had work as a contractor at Hill and uh, in, in the finance world. I'm like, it was good. We talked through that and kind of talked around the table. And then at a future session, uh, I asked a second question that tends to be kind of like, I don't know, an icebreaker uh, with men. is like, are you married? Right? He told me they was married. And then I asked the next question, which is what? Do you have kids? And he said no. And he's probably in his uh, early, he's, he's around 60. Now, I, I found that to be a funny question because when my wife and I were praying for God to give us kids, uh, people didn't quite know what to say if you said no to that question. Right? They were like, uh, okay. And then Ken said this, well, well we did have one daughter but um, she died very young. I said, oh. And, and I don't know why I asked this, because I just do. I said, uh, I said, what happened? And he said, well, my wife and I weren't sure that we could have children, and we prayed for 11 years that God would give us a child. And, and I'm relating, right, because we prayed for about that long before we had Timothy. And he said, 11 years into our marriage, my wife got pregnant. And um, very towards the middle of the pregnancy, um, the doctors realized that that were real problems. And so we, we, we went to the hospital, and um, they actually spent a considerable period of time, the doctors did, encouraging this couple to abort their child because there was no way that this child would live. And so, in the range of 25 weeks, his wife delivered. She delivered a 25-week grown little girl. And he said, we held held her for 15 minutes. And then she was gone. And we were never able to have children after that. And I got to tell you, if you want to get answers for all of life with your own understanding you don't have enough to get the answers. And neither do I. Because in all of that, God didn't cease to be good. He didn't cease to be powerful. He didn't cease to be in control. He, it wasn't outside of his plan. So we've just got to learn to trust God. I mean, when Job got to the bottom of it all, God basically laid out all of his creation and said, do you see how powerful I am? Do you see how in control I am? And he never gave Job the answers. We have the answers. We get the behind the scenes. And it's not just about somebody who loses a baby and is never able to have children, right? I mean, there are a hundred things in our lives every day that just don't make sense. And that we can't put the pieces together. And that's okay because we have a wise father and he says, trust me, just learn to trust me. And we say, oh yeah, I did that at salvation, but isn't that hard to do every day? It's a cornerstone of being wise. Hebrews 11 says, whoever comes to God must believe that God exists and that he is the rewarder of those who, Who diligently seek him. Trust God. Don't lean on your own understanding. The text goes on, verse 7, as if we needed the reminder again: don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Fear God. Don't try to define right and wrong yourself. Isn't it amazing the impact that a father has in your life? I have three brothers, so four boys in our family. And my dad instilled in us from a very young age a dislike for cats. <laughs> How many of you love cats? It's all right. It's okay. So don't listen to what I'm about to say. Or, or don't take it out on me. My dad was allergic to cats and just plain disliked them. And so there was never a cat in our home. There were no kittens. They were just more of the bad thing. In fact, out in our woods as children, we had a, a dirt pile that we played in with, with trucks and built stuff, and it was this big pile of dirt, and I, I think it got there when they built our home, but it was out in the middle of our little area, a patch of woods that Uh, us boys played in. And one day, a cat came onto our dirt, a stray cat of some sort, or maybe somebody's cat, I don't know, came onto our dirt pile. And we weren't a gun family. We didn't really own many guns, but at some point, my dad had bought us a BB gun. (laughs) Kristen is like, this isn't going where I think it's going. It absolutely is. Uh, (laughs) So my dad took out the BB gun, scoped in the cat, and let her rip. And that little BB hit the cat right in the behind. And that cat screeched and ran and never came back. Mission accomplished, right? But you know what's interesting? To this day... I have three brothers. Our families are spread out all around this country. My family, I got a brother in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a brother at Fort Campbell, right outside Nashville, Tennessee, and a brother in Boston slash Park City slash Seattle. Right? That brother. Uh, do you know how many of us have cats? Zero! Because we're smart. No. My dad's also an avid baseball fan. And we learned from a very young age that the Yankees were to be hated and the Red Sox were to be loved. It wasn't complicated. I was a Parker. You say, why does that matter? Because a father instills in his sons and daughters loves and hates that he has. Do you know God intends to instill that same response in us that he has? That we would learn to love the things that he loves. And that we would learn to hate the things that he hates. What does God love? Well, we could make a long list. But one of the things that he loves, James 1 tells us, is he loves care for the hopeless. He takes a personal interest in the fatherless and the widows. People in pain, they they touch his heart. And he loves them and cares for them. And he wants to instill in us that same love and care. He wants us to learn to mourn with those who mourn and to rejoice with those who rejoice. And we could make a list very long of what God loves. But this text tells us that God also wants us to learn to hate what he hates. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. Turn over just one or two pages to Proverbs chapter 6. This connection is all over our Bibles, fearing the Lord and and hating evil. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, these are six things that the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Wise people don't attempt to define life or right and wrong for themselves. They've learned to distrust their own wisdom and to listen to God. Because if we listen to ourselves, we will shade and excuse and accept things that God has not shaded or excused or accepted. We'll listen to the noise of our culture and say, well, what does the big group think is good and bad? If we want to be wise, we fear the Lord. I mean, think about the crazy things we say. We say, if it feels good, do it. How does that work out? Right? Like, how did did it work when you hit Zaxby's at 11 o'clock at night? Oh, it felt good for about three hours. Right? Right? We say things like, all my friends are doing it. To which the parents say, if your friend jumped off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff? We're wise in our own eyes. A little bit won't hurt. Fear God. Learn to define right and wrong by his definition. That's wisdom. If you go back to Proverbs 3, the final thing these verses say, is that we should honor God. I want to ask you a question. Based on the first two ideas about wisdom, how many of you would say, I agree that it is important to live by faith and to trust God, and I agree that that applies to me personally and my relationship with God? How many of you would agree with that? Okay. And if I went to the second thing, and said that you should learn to fear God, to live in awe of him and respect of him, and to love the things he loves and to hate the things he hates. How many of you would say, I agree, that applies to me personally and my own walk with the Lord? How many of you would say that? That applies to me. Great, so let's go to the third one. Honor the Lord. You say, yeah, I honor him. I come to church on Sunday. I think about how I spend my time I pray, I spend time in God's word. That's not where this text goes. It says this, honor him with your wealth. And with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. We honor God by giving to him. We took an offering today and there are certainly many ways of giving to God. This is one way. But here at Gospel Hope Church, we believe that the Bible teaches grace giving. But we don't believe that it teaches optional giving. There's a big distinction between those two things. Big. Because God says, here's a concrete way that you honor me. And somehow we've kind of said, well, if that works out, then I'll do it. Is faith optional? Is fearing God optional? Honoring God with our money is not optional. It's actually a critical indicator of where our hearts are. And so the verse says clearly, honor the Lord with your wealth. Well, when should I honor him? And with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And I I recognize we don't live in an agrarian society, right? Riverton used to be a very farming community. In fact, I don't know if you know this or not, but um, the uh, Mormon church's tithing yard is the, the quintessential yard where people would bring their gifts is in Riverton. There's actually a road called the Tithing Hill. It's here. And we don't live in an agrarian society like that. And we can fully recognize that a call to give and honor God with your money can be abused. Can it? Because somebody arbitrarily could say, well, this is how much you should give. The Bible doesn't say that. There can be compelling pressure. Paul says, I don't want you to give under compulsion. It can become a chore. Paul says, God loves a cheerful giver. But to take those ideas and then say, well, it's optional, walks away from everything the Bible lays out about how we honor God. We honor him first. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Last turn, I promise. I mean, except back to Proverbs. We'll go back to Proverbs. Verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, what we do with our money is a key performance indicator. It indicates what we value, what we treasure. And God says, Do you treasure me? Will you honor me? Can I tell you something? God is not interested in our leftovers. Well, I'll work out my whole budget, and if I have something left at the end of the month, then I'll give to God. God is not even really interested if you're a member of Gospel Hope Church or not. This is part of our church covenant that we'll give faithfully to God, but really that's immaterial. Deuteronomy tells us that it's God who gives us the power to get money to begin with so we should give to him first. Now what that sacrifice looks like for you, what that act of honoring God looks like for you, that's between you and God. You work that out. But don't say, well, maybe someday I'll get there. It is possible to give and not honor God. Right, the Pharisees did that. They gave, but their heart was far from God. It is impossible to honor God and not give. Let me say that again. It is possible to give, to, to pay a bill, to put, to put something in an offering plate, to, to even try to impress people with your money. You can give and not honor God, but you cannot honor God and not give. It's interesting to me that there are dozens of things that Proverbs 3 could have said here. Honor God by how you spend your time, honor God by worshiping Him, honor God by resting, honor God by loving your family. And this is the one the text chooses. And I fully recognize that this gets very personal very fast. But can I tell you, God intends it to? Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Go back to Proverbs chapter 3. So if you boil it down, what does wisdom look like? What does God tell us is wisdom? It's trusting him, It's fearing Him. It's honoring Him. And so when I boil my life down, or when you boil your life down, what do you look like in that list? I can tell you for me, it's humbling. Because while I've come to saving faith, living every day in that same faith, the just shall live by faith, is hard. Getting to know God more and more and trust Him more and more is a journey. And I've had those moments in my life just like you have where something has come in that I can't understand and I try to, the death to figure it out or I just get frustrated with God that it's in my life. Do I trust him? Do I fear him? Listen, our society is trying to get further and further away from God's wisdom and his laws. In the name of toleration, In the name of it's your body, do what you want to do. In the name of a hundred things, fear God. Get in his word. Find out what he loves and find out what he hates. And honor God. Honor him with your stuff. More than your rent, more than your home payment, more than your groceries or clothes. Put God first. But did you notice in these verses why God calls us to a life of wisdom? God has your good at heart. Do you know why I correct my son? Because he drives me crazy. No. Sometimes. No. Do you know why I get down on his level and look in his little eyes and try to try to somehow get truth into that little 2-year-old's brain? Do you know why I read the same Bible story like twice a week? I feel like I can quote it now. Some of you have children's books forever in your brain. I have the, the hungry bear, the little mouse, and the red ripe strawberry. Actually, when I don't have the book, I can quote it to him. But, but why, did, why did, as a father, do I try to instill truth in him? Why do I try to instill wisdom in him? Why did God give us his word? Why did he send Jesus? So that things could be well. And by saying that, I don't mean that we can have earthly prosperity and, and just have it anytime we want it. But what I mean is God intends all this for our good. God didn't give us his word to restrict us. He gave us his word to guide us. Listen to all these things in chapter 3. Verse 1. Don't forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my words. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Look at verse 4. If you keep steadfast love and faithfulness, you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. If you trust the Lord in each step of your life, he will make straight your paths. If you turn away from evil, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. There is a physical, spiritual connection that's undeniable. If you honor him, he will care for you, verse 10. He will provide for you. I could take a show of hands around the room and I won't, but if I ask people who have a habit of giving to God, and if I said, has God cared for you? Has he provided for you? I doubt there would be a hand that came up that said, nope, he's really letting our family down. God gives us his wisdom for our good. Maybe John 10, 10 says it better than anything else. The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. It's not complicated. It can be boiled down what does it look like to walk with Jesus? What does it look like to be wise? Trust God. Fear God. Honor God. Lord, we thank you for your word that it brings light to our hearts and to our lives. And Lord, we we admit that we don't love the things you love like you do. We admit that we don't hate and stay away from the things that you hate like we should. We, we admit that we hold on tightly to the money and the resources you've provided to us and we just pray that you would give us open hands and open hearts that we would learn to fear you and to trust you no matter what life brings along. Please help us not to trust in ourselves or to try to be smart in our own eyes but to follow you.